Sam Rock. Hello, I am Pastor Anthony, and you are at New Day Community Church, the Vine Campus, as we've said. And we are in the middle of a series called Maxed Out. Just a quick intro to this service sermon series. This is when you are absolutely stressed to the max in different areas. What do you do then? How do you invite God into your life when you are frazzled, frayed, and on the edge? You know, and as I've said, you don't have to go over the edge. You can come back from the edge. And this sermon series is really about how we can do that after the holiday season and kind of take a deep breath and make space for what matters most, especially God. And today we are going to talk about what to do when you are maxed out emotionally, when you are emotionally drained. And now some of you might resonate with a nice, bland title like emotionally drained. But for others of you, you might want title B, which is called Plenty of Snark, No Reserves. Amen. Amen. There's some takers who hear that. But others of you might want a little more elaboration, so I have a title C, which is Why Do I Want to Slap Everyone in the Whole World and Then Cry Alone in the Corner? Dear Jesus, send me chocolate. Resonating with this at this point. You know you are emotionally drained when someone you genuinely like comes up to you and asks you something benign like, where would you like me to take you out to lunch? And you want to choke them because they have dared to ask you a question. It doesn't matter what the question is. It doesn't matter who they are. Man, you are on E. It's past E. Your car is starting to stutter emotionally. You're maxed out. What causes this? Are there some practical steps we can take to deal with the types of people in our life that might be maxing us out? And I'm going to say yes, there is, but I want to just spoil the whole sermon and say, this is really about Jesus. Amen. This whole sermon is going to point to the last slide, and this sermon might end like dropping a rock and just leading it there. But that's intentional, because really there is only one real answer for being emotionally maxed out. And we're going to get to that. But there are some useful tips, okay? I am going to give you something that really works on the ground. And let's talk about three types of people. Nasty people, demanding people, and manipulative people. Yeah. They can all drain you. And I've got two tips for each. Isn't that clever? Two tips for each. It's almost like a sermon. Like I'm such a preacher. I claim it. Let's jump right in. We're going to talk about those people this person and him during the course of this message. First, the three types of those people, which must be the problem, don't you know? All those people. It's got to be them. They're draining us. No doubt. Let's talk about nasty people. Now, when I say nasty people, I don't mean people who are having a bad day. I don't mean people who are curt or kind of disagreeable. I mean people like Sid from Toy Story. I mean people who are bent on destruction. They are bound to cause pain. They seem to enjoy malice for malice's own sake. You may have never met someone like this, but you know what? Someone like this might be your boss. God forbid if you have someone like this in your family, or if you work with them and can't get away. One of these people is enough to drive you to the edge and make you emotionally maxed out. One, because they are so malicious and nasty. Again, this isn't your difficult neighbor who you, you swear that tree is on his side of the property and he should take care of it at least it's on yours. Not that guy, Sid. Okay, we all on the same page? All right, let's talk about Sid. There are Sids in the Bible, I believe. Paul ran into one, 
And when he was writing to his leader of leaders, Timothy, he told Timothy to watch out for this guy. He writes this in 2 Timothy 4. Alexander the metal worker was a nasty dude. He doesn't say that exactly. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. This is Paul, the, the apostle of grace guy, like the think the best of everyone, the first Corinthians guy, who's telling Timothy, this dude is a problem. And if I were you, I'd be on your guard. Better to just walk on the other side of the street. This is a nasty guy. And you know, Jesus was a realist. And Jesus also knew that the, the Christians to come would run into people that were kind of unsavory and wanted to do not so nice things to them. And he talked about that in Matthew 10, 21 to 23. He paints this picture of the future for his disciples. He says, quite frankly, brother will betray brother to death and father his child, a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Before I go to the next slide, I want to say something about Jesus. You know, look at this. This is kind of a bleak proclamation, is it not? This is real. He's saying, guys, you need to know the reality of the situation you're about to get in. People are going to have strong responses because of me. They're going to be really mean. They're going to kill you. Some of you are going to die. But he doesn't just leave it there. He actually gives them an action plan. There's reality, but he, pre he preempts the question, well, what are we supposed to do? He says, well, I'll tell you what to do. Don't sit there and take it. Leave. If you run into a village and they start acting like Sid, go somewhere else. My message has to be spread everywhere. It's funny. I just want to go on a little mini rabbit trail about Jesus, but it's funny when you read the Gospels, especially Matthew. Matthew is my go-to book. Whenever I need to be realigned with the heart of Jesus, I go to Matthew. You see a guy who is a realist, who gives you real things you can do, who never mishandles a situation. It's astounding. I need to be more like that. All right, moving on. So, we got Paul, who tells Timothy, Timothy, this Alexander guy, he's a Sid, be on your guard. And then we have Jesus that says, when people want to really violently mistreat you, flee from one place and go to another. So we're going to distill that down to two points. If you have a nasty person in your life, you can acknowledge or recognize and avoid. Recognize and avoid. And someone might say, Pastor Anthony, that doesn't sound very Christian. I mean, aren't we supposed to just grin and bear it and take our legs from this person just like Jesus would? No. no. Jesus said, flee from one town and go to another if you can. Paul said, Timothy, be on guard from this guy. It is not unchristian to look for ways to avoid these people so they can't hurt you and you don't waste time on them. It's not unloving. It's not wrong. This is practical wisdom endorsed by Jesus who is a realist and knew how to handle every situation perfectly. So if you are drained, and if you are drained from a particularly nasty person in your life, not your difficult neighbor, a guy who is bent on destruction, you don't have to stay there. If it's in your power to leave, leave. You're not a coward. You're not copping out. You're doing something that only makes sense. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Is that a little bit relieving to know that you don't have to just take your licks like a man? 
You don't. You can leave. All right. Nasty people. If you can avoid them, do it. Don't let them drain you. If you can at all help it. But you know, are they really the problem? I don't know. Let's move on. Demanding people. It's got to be them. Those people are the problem. We know it. And it's probably these people. And when I say demanding people, don't think I mean pushy people. Don't think I mean just people that walk up to you and bark orders and want to know where the reports are and why it isn't done yet and all this stuff. That's not the type of demanding people I mean. They can be demanding people, but you know who else can be demanding is really nice people. Like Rex from Toy Story. You guys may be noticing a theme. Rex is one of the most charming, lovable characters in the Toy Story movies. He also cannot handle anything for himself. <laughs> and everything is a huge problem that he needs Woody or Buzz or somebody else who knows what's going on to solve. Everything is an emergency and everything has to be solved by someone else. Rex can't do it. But Rex is amazing. We love Rex. Rex is great. But Rex is a demanding dinosaur. And you know what? Usually, unlike nasty people, one of these people isn't enough in your life to drain you. It usually takes a whole group. You know? There was this one dude in the Bible named Moses who had a whole group of demanding people. <laughs> and so he's out in the wilderness with these demanding people and his father-in-law pays him a visit and says, Moses, this is crazy. And that transaction is as follows. Exodus 18, 16 to 18. Moses is explaining what he's doing sitting in judgment over what could be a million people. He says, gosh, father-in-law, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. So he's got a whole tribe of Rex the dinosaurs running to him for everything they need. And Moses' father-in-law replies, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You'll only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy. You cannot handle it alone. Sage advice from the father-in-law, and Moses takes the advice. But you know, Jesus ran into some demanding people too. Just a word on Jesus. I like the book of Matthew when I want to get to know Jesus. And it's, it's funny, Jesus always knows how to handle people. Always. He never mishandles a, a person's situation. He never misreads it. He always has wisdom unique to their situation. And here's one of those instances. Luke 12, 13 to 15. Jesus is doing his messianic thing, and somebody yells at him from the crowd. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replies, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them all, so he uses this as an example to teach, poor guy. He says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Here we have Jesus responding to a demand that's just thrown at him. Now Jesus is the judge. He said that himself. All power and authority is given over to Christ. And yet he slaps a big fat not my job on this one, doesn't he? Interesting. Maybe there's a clue here about how we can handle demanding people. When Moses' father-in-law says you can't handle it alone, and when Jesus tells the guy who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you, we can condense these together and get two good tips for dealing with demanding people so they don't have to suck the life out of you. And that is this. What's that, Chris? Tell them. Who are demanding? Stop it. No, no kind of. All right, that's kind of the point. No, look, 
Delegate and specify. What do I mean by that? Some people are more demanding than other people. They don't have to be bad people. They're not mean. They're not trying to be needy. They're just more demanding. You know what? You probably cannot solve all of their problems better than everyone else that they know. If there's a way that you can point these people towards more capable people, do it. But Pastor Anthony, isn't that a cop-out? No, that's common sense. Delegate. Give them someone else who can help them better. And specify exactly what you can and cannot do to a demanding person or for a demanding person. Let me, I'm going to stop here and give an example because this one, this one could be hazy. It could be taken a few different ways. This is difficult particularly when the demanding person who's draining you is really nice. So I used to work in retail. I'm working at Walmart. I go back to school. School is a tremendous workload. I need my lunches to do homework. I need my 15-minute breaks to do homework. But there's this really nice guy I'm friends with who insists that I go to every break with him and insists that I go to every lunch break with him. And if I said I couldn't go to breaks or lunches with him, it's like I can see that he's offended. And it's not like I'm the only friend he has. He's just kind of a demanding dude. He doesn't like to be alone. He's super social. And I'm the guy that has the day shift at Walmart. I had to actually tell him, I cannot go to breaks with you. I cannot go to lunches with you. This is what I'm designating this time for. You're great. I don't mean to offend you, but this can't happen anymore. And he was ticked at me. He was not happy for a while. That caused a rift. But it was a rift that needed to happen for me. Does that make sense? Not wrong. Delegate and specify. I can't do this. I cannot do this. But you know, I've got to ask, these demanding people, if you're emotionally maxed out, you're on the brink, you're frazzled, you want chocolate, you're in the corner, are they really the problem? Let's move on. Certainly it's those people. Can't be, can't be anyone else. It's those people that are draining you. You know it. And if it's not the nasty people and it's not the demanding people, it has to be the manipulative people. It's lots of hugging bear and big baby and all those other deceitful, tricky, nasty, passive-aggressive people that are trying to get one over on you, that never say what they mean, that are at least wearing two faces, maybe nine. You don't know. You can never trust them. These are the people that are draining you. Right? And maybe they're not quite as draining as the nasty sick people, but they are close. One person like this in your life in the right position, and your emotional reserves are gone. Gone. They've got to be the problem. And the Bible is full of these people. Jesus dealt with manipulative people all the time. This is just taken from the book of Matthew. The scribes and the Pharisees would come up to Jesus with a smile and a dagger behind their back and want to ask him a question. And Jesus never fell for it. Here's three examples. Matthew 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees approached and tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now don't think they stormed up and said, we have a test for you. Show us a sign from heaven. They probably played nice. And like, hey, Jesus, you're the man. We've been seeing the stuff you're doing. Would you mind showing us a sign from heaven? And Jesus is like, you're testing me. Stop it. Stop being such a manipulative weirdo. Just you don't think I'm legit. You're looking for a way to get rid of me. Admit it. Here we have another one from Matthew 19. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? This is the hot question of the day. 
They're trying to get him in hot water with someone, and they don't care who. Pick a side, Jesus. We're going to make sure we run your reputation through the mud. Jesus doesn't fall for it. And in fact, in Matthew 22, it says this, that when they came to Jesus, he perceived their malicious intent. And Jesus said to them, why are you testing me? Hypocrites. Just try and be manipulative to Jesus. He calls you out every time. You look like a fool in front of everybody. Why are you testing me? Hypocrites. I see who you really are. Most of the time. Then we have this other example in Matthew 17. It's my daughter going crazy back there. She doesn't want to kids either. Manipulative people. Here we have another situation where Jesus is probably being tested. Peter's hanging out outside. Jesus is teaching in the house. And some people walk up to collect the temple tax. Now this tax was not mandatory. It was voluntary with quotations, right? Like, not really voluntary. Like, you better pay it because if you don't pay it, people are going to find out you didn't pay it and you'll be one of those people. Huh? So they come up and they say to Peter, Hey, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And Jesus says, Oh, of course he does. Yeah, absolutely. But Peter knows they don't have any money. So he sneaks in the house and he's going to tell Jesus, We've got a big problem here. They want the temple tax. I told him you paid it so we don't look bad and we don't have any money. Jesus sees him coming, knows what it's about, and gives this big elaborate explanation about how the sons of the kingdom are exempt and he doesn't have to pay it. So you expect him, based on how he treats the other testing questions, to kick open the door and like holler at him in the street, right? Hypocrites, why are you testing me? Don't you know the sons of the kingdom are exempt from this tax? But instead, he says to Peter, hey, we don't want to offend these people. Go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. What? So to the Pharisees, he's always saying, why are you testing me, hypocrites, and like ripping them apart right there in front of everybody. These people come up, and he's like, well, we don't want to offend them. Hey, let me work this really bizarre miracle. We don't have any money to buy food, but let me work this really strange miracle so that we can give them the temple tax. What in the world? But you know Jesus. He's, he's funny about Jesus. Jesus never misreads the situation. He always knows what to do. And when I want to know what to do, when I want to be aligned with Jesus' heart, I usually go to the book of Matthew. I find that that's the, the preferred book for me to really get into the heart of Jesus, who always reads the situation correctly and is never emotionally driven. But I digress, or do I? We can distill this down to two points. Strength and wisdom. Manipulative people always, always, always require a strong response. Always. But only godly wisdom will let you know if it is the strong response of appropriate confrontation or humility. Because sometimes you pay the temple tax. Sometimes it's just not that important that they're trying to get one over on you. Who cares? Who cares? You have to be strong on the inside to be that humble. They think they're winning. You know you don't care. You're humble enough for it. And sometimes you have to appropriately call it out and call a spade a spade. But how do you know the difference? It takes godly wisdom. So I hope that that helps when you meet nasty people. Recognize them and avoid them if you can. Demanding people. Delegate and specify. Manipulative people. You have to have strength and you have to have wisdom.
And certainly that will get rid of all your problems and you won't be emotionally drained anymore because that takes care of the biggest offenders from those people, right? But we know that they're not the only factor in the equation. There's also this person, isn't there? Represented by Woody. Now we need to be honest about this person because I think this person is the culprit. Most of the time, not all the time, sin can drain you if you're a saint. Don't hear me say it's always your fault that you're drained. But let's be honest. We're not always happy, smiling, Woody Earl. Sometimes we're nasty, conniving, trying to get rid of Buzz, Woody. That's in there. That's on the inside. We're not as charming and as happy as even we want to think we are. And you know, the fact that we are our own biggest problem when it comes to being drained is made worse by the fact that we can be so absolutely amazing. I recently had my mind blown by the book Man's Search for Meaning. I highly suggest all of you get it. The guy who wrote it survived concentration camps, four of them for multiple years, and he came up with this conclusion. He said, we who live in, lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts, comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, says the guy who was dying and beaten and tortured in a concentration camp. They can't take my will to choose how I will respond. But most of us, when we are faced with a situation not demanding, do not soar upward, we sink downward. And instead of wanting to recognize and avoid mean people, instead of wanting to Name and steer clear of nasty people, we want to retaliate and we want to win. Because how dare they be mean? They hit me, I'm going to hit them harder. They mess with my desk, I'm going to mess with theirs. Who do they think they're messing with? Instead of looking at demanding people and saying it's probably healthier for both of us for me to delegate and specify, we want to be needed. We want to solve more of their problems. We kind of like the fact that they drain us because then we can talk about how much they need us. And in fact, we want to solve more of their problems. We're really not happy in some weird, twisted part of ourselves only being needed this much. We want to be needed more, which drains us more, but we have this unhealthy need. And when it comes to manipulative people, strength and wisdom, humiliate and destroy. Manipulate them back. Play the game better. Does this sound familiar? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but does this sound like us? And add to this the fact that even though we're, we're kind of not handling things better, gosh, we really, really need everyone in the whole world to like us. And it's not really enough that they like us. I really need everyone to also admire me. And yes, I want to be the absolute best. I'm not okay just being good enough. I need to be the best and I want to be liked, even though I'm handling things improperly and unhealthily. And I know that now I have to wear a facade and I don't want anyone to look too close. So I have to keep the right look on my face and put my shoulders back. Even though I've got this turmoil of fear on the inside and shame and I'm screaming out for people to like me and like me and like me and I've just got this pride and bitterness and regret and grudges and undealt with sin that's creating this really disgusting, strange lens that I see the world through and I can't deal with anyone healthily because I've got this turmoil in myself. And if I'm humble enough and honest enough, I know I don't need a solution for the nasty person or the demanding person or the manipulative person. I need a solution for me. And that's him. And when I want to get in line with him, I usually go to Matthew. Because Jesus never mishandles the situation. Always reads people right. And is never maxed out. 
So to conclude, I would suggest we all spend some time in the book of Matthew and fix our own selves because we're the only person we can work on and get realigned in the heart of Jesus. Because that's ultimately the answer. Amen? Amen. Amen. I said I'd drop it like a rock. I did warn you at the beginning. Thank you guys. Good shit,